0: Are you looking for a fun and informative podcast all about training working dogs? Look no further than the LWDG Poddog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joanne Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Dog, and let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Dog and Duck. We have, starting tomorrow, a launch coming with Sporting Saint. Now we've been working on this for a little while I'm incredibly excited about it because this is something we've built as a community. Different people in the community worked with us to come up with this new product. This is the LWDG tennis ball wrap. So we were asked by Sport and Saint to collaborate with them and come up with a product. It was entirely up to us what the product was that we felt would help people so we didn't want to go down maybe the expected route of being a ladies group and not come up with a bag or something like that we wanted to come up with something that really would help people in the group um and we came up with this idea of a tennis ball wrap and what it does it's like a velcro wrap that you can put around any dummy it'll help the dog to hit the dummy in the right place but also i know a lot of you might already see this your dog might be really really excited around tennis balls. they love them they go and get them and might not have the same sort of excitement when it comes to canvas dummies this will help them to get our same excitement so i had the joy of in injo- uh, trying out the prototype and i'm sure some of the girls on here will back me up with this ella is not the biggest born dummy retrieving dog you've ever met she's not really fussed with them Oh, the gundog holiday she was like hmm, maybe i'll get it maybe i won't these she's gone and got every single one she's hunted them far better she's brought them all back to me she's enjoying and engaging with them um i wouldn't like to know going to the science of it but i do want you all to know about it because it launches tomorrow but anyway so <clears throat> that's me yabering over and done with tonight's um, dog and duck is going to be a, a little bit different. In the week, we asked the question: What's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given about training your dog? I didn't know whether to be flabbergasted, or shocked, or laugh, or whatever at some of the things that you wrote, and the, some of the like total nonsense that you've had to put up with and I do really think it's nonsense like some of you have been told Appalling things about training we thought tonight We would just like chat about some of these and like talk about with the trainers like not like where they come from because nobody's gonna know the history of the thing but like What the idea was behind it and what the actual reality is now going forward? Um, I'm gonna read some of them out and then we're gonna just like chat about them one of the ones that sort of <sighs> like made me sad you have to break her like i read that and I was like heartbroken i'm sure others were so trainers where do you think this sort of concept of needing to break the dog what's that even coming from
1: i that that sentence makes me really really sad because when you see a dog that looks very, very shut down and it's working through fear instead of working through a desire to want to work in partnership with its owner. Um, I think it's a really sad thing to see. And I think it's a very old-fashioned, old-school mentality of breaking a dog's spirit so that it works for you, I suppose, um, instead of with you. I think it does come from when it was predominantly
2: male, more male trainers um, and male handlers when it was predominantly more of a male sport as well to, to work dogs. And it, well, it was the same with horses as well. If you, it, we used to break horses, that's where that term actually came from is because you literally trash the spirit until <laughs> you put a, a saddle on them. Um, and I just think things have changed and unfortunately some trainers maybe haven't changed and that's where that advice is coming from. And I do think it is often given to a, a female handler because it comes from, oh, your dog doesn't respect you and it it will only have a bond with you if you're in charge and you're the boss and all of those kind of terminologies that are, I think, outdated. And like Claire said, if you see a dog that has actually been broken, um, come to you either for like because you've either rescued it or it's just it's awful to watch them be so just they have no personality they have absolutely nothing it's like a glazed over kind of there's nothing in there sort of thing and it's just really sad from a from a trainer's point of view to see to see dogs that have been like put been put through that to to get to that level and I don't think they work very well either.
0: If you think about it though like coming from a horsey background when you say break a horse it's not <clears throat> naturally part of a, do- of a horse's instinct to want to work for you. A horse doesn't say, come on, let's go do this today. But a dog does. I think a lot of it was that, you know, people are
3: trying to control another living thing's mind. And back then, we didn't know anywhere near as much as we do now. And it was basically along the lines of, you need it to be your robot. You need it to listen to absolutely everything you say. And it wasn't a partnership. They were purely a tool um you know and they only ever came out when they had a job to do and that was they weren't given any love and affection it was literally a I need to control this because if I don't control it there's a chance it might do its own thing and not do what I needed to do so therefore the general mindset and as Emma said it was a very male-led background but the general mindset was you know beat it until it is too scared to do otherwise but a dog being a dog they have A very sort of smiley persona and they would even if they were absolutely terrified they wanted to do the job so they would come out and do it and you can see some that are you know really withdrawn and really subdued but others will put on a bit of a brave face and come out and go well I enjoy working and actually it's almost worth the beatings because i get to go and chase pheasants and that's pretty cool
0: i hadn't even thought of that but as well and now that's maybe even sadder
4: i think sam hit the nail on the head really it's because people want these dogs that are push button dogs um and not working with them as such they just want to give a command and the dog goes out and does it it doesn't matter if it runs out with a waggy tail or comes back at speed it does the job and that's that. And luckily, dog training and horse training has have both sort of evolved. They used to break the horse's spirit by like hobbling them and doing all sorts of horrible things to them. So the same process happens with horses now as well. So you get happier horses that don't mind people being on their backs and it's not through a fear or a, an overpowering thing. Um But yeah, no, it's just a really sad topic, isn't it?
3: I like living on the edge with my dogs. I get to the end of the shoot day and I think, oh, thank God, we made it through that one. They didn't do anything I didn't need them to do. But, you know, it's it's it, it adds the entertainment for the day, I guess, doesn't it?
4: Not only that, sometimes we need our dogs to think for themselves and not be robots when we send them for that bird that we don't know where it's fallen. We don't want them to just stand there going, I'm too scared to actually go that way because it might be wrong or that way because it might be wrong. Um, and they actually use their brains.
0: OK, let's go on to another comment. Harry, a Um I got told to ignore the bad behavior when my dog was a puppy. So this is like a complete other end of the spectrum now. We're ignoring bad behavior. So what do we as trainers, or we, I, I, if that's the royal we, because I'm not trained, but, but what do the trainers think about that piece of, of advice? It's another one that really, it's kind
1: of crazy, isn't it? Because, it's the same as people saying to puppy owners that their dog will grow out of bad behaviors it's kind of linked to that and the reality is if the dog finds itself rewarding then they're not going to stop doing it by you either ignoring it or by you um you know doing nothing about it and turning your back if they're jumping up you know yeah, you've got to do something about it if you don't tell the dog you don't want it to do it then they're just going to keep get doing it especially if they find it self rewarding so it's just one of them ones you just sort of bin over your shoulder and go yeah that's a rubbish bit of advice so, yeah.
2: I think as well you're not actually teaching either if you ignore you don't teach therefore then how can the dog learn what it should be doing it's almost like if you sent your kid to school And the teacher just sat down all day and didn't do anything, didn't tell them that they were right, they were wrong, they were doing this right, they were doing that wrong. And the kid came home from school again and you said, what have you learned today? And then the kid will go, I don't know, because nobody gave me any constructive criticism, help, guidance, nothing. So ignoring something is kind of, you're ignoring the problem, you're not actually fixing or teaching
3: anything.
0: Mm -hmm. Harriet, the lady who wrote it, is actually on you. Harriet... Tell us a bit more about why you were told this splendid bit of advice.
5: <laughs> so, do um, you hear me all right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when I first uh, got my dog, that was the advice I was given. Um, and I did <laughs> I did the really bad stuff of going on YouTube, researching all the stuff. And, and then I, I had other sort of trainer friends, like, oh, you must... Um, scatter feed which is again was the, I've got a um Labrador it's so the worst thing that I've done is scatter feed and then also I, was, I think I wanted my sounds really silly I wanted my dog to love me as well so I, I didn't want to kind of tell him off uh, but then this is where the the problem started so he kept I remember messaging Claire um keeps biting on the lead and he keeps pulling on the lead and he won't come back and there's all these things and then once I took control and I read um the John Rogerson book the Da Vinci Code and I sat there and actually read that and took on on board everything he kind of said it into my dog, and it was like whoa. And then that moment—that's
0: when I kind of fell in love with dog training. You brought up a really valid point there, though, isn't it? But like, we all want them to love us. Yeah. But like, if you think about it, our mums and dads told us so many times, "No, and you're not doing that," and all that thing. And that didn't stop us from loving them. It—they would—they would just tell us there were things we couldn't do. But I think you're absolutely right. We get this—this this concept that if we tell them know that we somehow being bad dog owners yeah I think that's what I had
5: and I I just yeah and I wanted to be his his world his universe and I realized that I can get that other ways by teaching him guiding him and that that yeah it it was the worst piece of advice. But however, I feel like I've gone on to like a massive journey since then.
4: Yeah, it's amazing how often we hear from clients that they don't want to be nasty to dogs because they don't want to ruin their relationship with their dogs and they want them to love them and they want them to do this. But actually, all dogs want is to have sort of what we call an effective leader so they don't have to think about things, so they can go, is that right? Yeah, that's cool. And then they're so much happier. You see it when we start doing these sessions with people that when they start taking back control you see the dog visibly go oh thank goodness I don't have to make those decisions anymore and it's great and I think you're awesome Um, and actually their relationships improve and it's just really nice to watch so that's really good to hear Harriet. Yeah I was
2: going to say I don't know whether the other trainers find this as well but generally when a client comes to us that says to me and says I don't want to tell my dog off because I don't want them to hate me or I want them to love me and things generally those clients are really really confused um don't quite know how to handle can sometimes actually be a bit fearful of their dogs as well and then also are super inconsistent with how they handle them because they don't know how to actually they don't know whether they're ignoring correcting praising and it's all really really confused and at that point then for the dog as well like jem said the dog is then so wound up because it doesn't actually it has no consistency at home it has no boundaries it has no kind of almost relationship because the owner's so up and down that then it goes when you do start to take control it does have that moment where it relaxes and goes oh thank god somebody's actually like in control now and I don't have to to do this anymore so yeah I think that side of it is is massive in the relationship as well.
0: But it's also coming from an incredibly well-meaning place. So if they don't know what they don't know, you know, I'll put my hand up. And because we don't know how we get there without putting in boundaries, or if we put on boundaries, how how strong should the boundaries be, blah, 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 what do they look like? Because we don't know what we don't know, we just end up being really, really confused, like you said, and that's where that inconsistency is coming from. Yeah, I was just going to say it is really true,
1: and a lot of people are really worried that applying a correction to their job... And they don't even know what they mean when they say correction always. The first time they say it, they're thinking of something really, really bad and they don't want to do it in case it damages the relationship. They've perhaps been told it will damage the relationship between them and their dog. And yes, harsh corrections, cruelty, abuse, you are definitely going to damage um, the relationship with your dog. However, most of the dogs I see for behavioral works are just super super confused and really, really stressed because they haven't got leadership in their lives. So the dogs are exposing these unwanted, undesirable behaviours because they have no leadership. And the minute you apply some leadership and you reward the behaviours you want and you educate the dog that, no, these behaviours are not wanted, the dog can actually relax and you end up with a much more relaxed, contented dog
0: we we'll are going to another one now, um, uh, it was written by Dai and she was told, I was told to make sure he looked at me before releasing him for a retrieve. The poor dog would mark a partridge in rape and then not be able to find it because he had taken his eyes off it. So, which one of the trainers would want to talk about this? Now, this is quite an interesting one because should your dog look at you before it goes for a retrieve or sh- or... Or should we expect it to hold the mark? Well,
3: see, I actually do ask my dogs to look at me before I send them for a retrieve. Okay. So I don't know. I look. I look back through the fingers now. I thought, oh, did I come to me? I don't think so. Um, but I ask my dog to mark the fall and then look at me, and it's that kind of, am I going for that one? Because it might be that actually I want them to go for that one, and so if they're holding the mark over there it's no good to me i need them to look at me and ask questions so i'm kind of going to go against that one and
0: that's that's what we love about this group because it's about working in different ways we're not not all going to train the same way
2: no mine's probably going to be super confusing because i when i'm teaching young dogs i don't like them to look at me but when it as it advances and their progressive training advances for the same reason as Sam when I'm actually actively working them, I require the eye contact. If that makes sense. And I don't actually, if I'm being totally honest, even know how, when, or where that changeover actually even happens, because it's generally once. I start moving on to memories and blinds where we're starting to line them out properly and stuff like that. That's generally when eyes move and heads start to move. But I like, I want them to learn to mark. If You interrupt the mark, you interrupt the picture and then you don't get efficient marking. But then you do need them, especially if you're working multiple dogs as well. You do do need them to, to kind of almost ask for permission as to whether it's their retrieve and which way they're going when you get to multiple retrieves and multiple dogs. If that makes sense
4: it does um so i'm gonna be different again (laughs) 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 um so for me i think it all depends on the dog as well because my dogs is totally different to the point where red will mark something miles away i almost require him to look at me because he's not quite as steady as his sister so he will look at me but he will run straight to that point and pick it up super quick if Nuka did that, her brain is going so quickly, 10 miles to the hour, dozen, whatever, if she looked at me in between that mark, she would run to a completely different place and not pick it. Um, so I don't interrupt her at all and make insist on that, that contact. I know that she won't move. And if I say her name, Nuka, leave, or Nuka, not you, or whatever, she will disengage from that mark and I can send her somewhere else. So I think it is very dog dependent as well. Okay, clear hmm What could I throw in the mix?
1: <laughs> uh, well, for me, it very much depends on the dog. So a good example, I'm working with a client at the moment whose dog can't mark very well at all. So the last thing I'd want that dog to do is take its eye off the mark. And the owner had actually been teaching the dog to look away and ask for permission before sending, which was why the dog has never learned to mark, because from a very young age, the dog would look, look at the owner and look at the owner for quite a few seconds and then he'd send the dog and the dog would take ages to find the retrieve because it hadn't learned to mark an area full it's a bit like what jen said with a young dog very often with probably 90 percent of them i won't want them to take their eye off the mark until i've taught them to mark But then later on, if there are multiple dummies and I need to break the dog's focus from one to another, I will move the dog. I will get them to turn at heel with me. So inevitably, they'll take their eye off that and look at something else. Do I get them to look at me? Very rarely, in all honesty. I might get them to look away if I'm lining them for a different dummy but not very often look at me unless they're facing me. <laughs> so, therefore, it's another spanner in the works. <laughs> so, I think it really, for me, very much depends on what I'm training, with the dog I'm training, the level of that dog, the level of that handler, and the dog's ability to memorise the error of fall of a
0: mark. da Fantastic.
6: Nikki? Um, yeah following on what from Claire said is for me it's exactly that as well it depends on the dog what it is I'm asking them to mark um, what, what situation you're in so my youngest dog if I leave it too long he will look back at me and then he's lost the mark and then I have to handle him onto that dummy um, so I'll send him fairly quickly if it's me of course if it's in a test I have to wait for the judge to tell me so then I'm like mm, don't, don't look back <laughs> I taught him to have eye contact with me early on. And so now, na- and he's so quick and, and he looks at me. So now I'm like, right now, I'm going to have to le- teach him differently. But of course, if I was then on a shoot with him, then I do want him to look because I want to. Because if you're there picking up and he's not to pick some of those birds up because they're another dog's birds, then I do need him to look at and I can send him on the right way. So there's the bit there about w- w- what it needs to be, yeah, w- for the job, really, the dog and the job that you're trying to do.
0: Fantastic
6: points. Emma. Yeah. So just to add, like, I agree with Claire. If they're facing
2: me to be sent for a directional, then I need eye contact. I need them to come off of that because I might direct them the other way and I need them to look at me. I don't ever send a dog just on its name because its name will be its interrupter to get it to come away from that retrieve and either look at me or look where it's going to be pointed out to next. And initially i basic so as a puppy i start by teaching them to mark and then i've got control to pull it off rather than teaching the eye contact and then trying to do it in reverse and teach to mark i think that's more difficult so i like them to learn to mark first and then as long as the steadiness is there you can then control them coming off the mark whereas if you've focused on eye contact too early on it's much more difficult to teach them to mark because they've been conditioned to look at you and look away from the mark to be sent for the retrieve that's their reward So they'll learn to come off the retrieve to look at you to be sent, if that makes sense.
0: I'm sure it does to many. I think I've kept up with you all. But but this is quite an interesting um conversation because this is like, this is what I love about this group. You've all got different variations of training the same thing, which is making me think about how I train and why I train that way. Hope that makes sense, anyway. Um, right, My the last thing I want to say, because we've run a little bit over, you're all still here, so I hope you're all enjoying. The last one I want to read out, I thought we would get through millions, and we've done like three. Um, this one, I, I just don't even know about it, quick like round robin. Um, fast your dog for 24 hours before you take it beaten. What is that even about? Is there any logic in this? Was this a old guy thing? What was it?
1: No. No.
2: <laughs> okay, so the theory behind it, the theory, it isn't, a, it isn't, but the theory behind it is if you fast your dog for 24 hours before a shoot day and then you feed it in the morning, it speeds up their metabolism, therefore makes them hunt harder, hunt quicker, and in general work better. It's a load of, I don't, I'm not going to swear because you record this. It's not, it's not true whatsoever. A dog's metabolism cannot be sped up by a 24 hour fast. It it doesn't happen. If anything, what you're going to do is you're going to pull the fat storage out and the muscle storage out, and you're going to eventually get muscle depletion because they'll go into starvation mode and they'll pull their energy resources out of muscles and therefore then go you're more likely to get hypoglycemic shock and things like that and sugar levels dropping and all of that kind of stuff because you're also then on the on the morning of a shoot day giving them a huge sugar boost by giving them their food after fasting and the, that's when their their body will go into overdrive and use it in the wrong way is my quick nutrition advice there
0: you go. Sorry. And I am I'm absolutely understanding it like you never see a marathon runner has as fasted for 24 hours before if anything it's the option the other option which they eat quite a lot of like complex carbohydrates to to build up energy stores so um I'm glad you've done that one for us um There were loads of other ones where when I read through them, some of them were shocking, like I said, some of them when I read through them, and if you haven't got read through them, go and read them on the open community, but also go read them on the Facebook page as well, because there were more there. There were some of them where I was like, ooh, would would I class that as bad advice? And it is quite interesting. It's worth reading through them for you're For you to spend some time reflecting on them and thinking, well, well, what do I think of that? Because that's going to help you in a very fast way. Um, I, we've explained this in the group before. You learn, you can learn like in layers. So one dog, think of one dog as one layer. You've learned with one dog on that layer. Trainers see lots of dogs, so they learn lots of. Di- they see lots of different behaviours. Um, people who have lot of dogs all their lives, they've got lots of layers. So for you guys, when you go and read them and you get given problems or ideas or concepts that you're not going through with your dog, a bit like dog and duck, every time you do a dog and deck, you're building a new layer, because your brain's been asked to think about dog training problems, or particularly not your own, but that you need to think about either way, go and read through them and see which ones you sort of agree with, what you don't agree with, if you want, go on to the um, website, our website, go into the activity and just say, you know, this made me think, what do I think of this? There's no right or wrong, there's nothing you're gonna write um, that's gonna make us go, well, no, you're wrong, you know that, that's not how we work. Um, But some of them, you know, like, for example, a lady wrote, a dog kept in a kennel will always be better working than one living in a house. Now, I don't know whether I disagree with that or agree with it, because I see the benefits and and the downsides of both. So those type of things, get yourself to think. Before I end this for the evening, I'd like to thank all the trainers, all of you for being here. So I hope you've all enjoyed. I hope you've all had a fantastic evening. We will see you all next Wednesday at 8.30. And um, from me and from the team, good night. Thank you for listening to LWDG Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now we all know training a dog takes time, energy, and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we will show you how to use short, 10 minute training sessions each day to fast forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. Go to our Facebook page the Ladies Working Dog Group and click on the pinned post or visit (music) www.thelwdg.com